Ravi Zacharias talks about a time when he was taken recently to a large university in the Midwest. And on the tour, they proudly showed him the first truly postmodern building on any college campus. And what made it postmodern is that they had stairs in the building that led to nowhere. They had doors that you opened and there was nothing on the other side. And as they proudly showed him everything that, that uh, led to nothing and talked about their building, he then asked this question, did they do the same thing with the foundation? And of course the answer is no, because nothing can be built without a solid foundation. Now we've been talking about the fact that God's building is going somewhere. God is building a community. God is putting together a group of people. And what I want to tell you this morning is the foundation upon which that is built is uh, relationships. Relationships are the foundation upon which God builds the community. Now let's review what we've learned the last few weeks. First of all, we've learned that God, God's own self, exists in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this eternal dance of joy and love. We've learned also that when God created the first person, God looked down and said, you know, it's not good. It's not good for a person to be alone. And God desired that we would be in relationships. One of the things that I've learned as a pastor, I have the privilege of often being with people in their last days, hours, sometimes minutes. And never yet have I heard someone in the last minutes of their life say to a loved one, please go and get me the keys to one of my three cars. Please go and get me the program from the big game that we won five years ago. Please go and bring me the diploma off my wall. Bring me my daytimer so I can see all that I've accomplished. No. But they will hold on to the bitter end until the sister finally makes it back into town. Until the youngest child finally arrives in the hospital room. They will wait for what is and ask for what is truly important. The foundation block of everything that God wants to do in life. They will wait for relationships. Now this is what I want to do with you this morning. I want to look at the blueprint for the very first community in the New Testament that was formed of Christians. The scene is this. On Pentecost Day, Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people come and they want to join up. And they form the very first Christian community. Followers of the way, they are called. And what I want to show you is the foundation for this community is relationships. But in this blueprint, we see four particular relationships that God will use almost like pillars. And everything else that God builds will come upon these four relationships. And so we turn to the blueprint, which is found in Acts, the second chapter. Here, in verse, beginning in verse 42, the pillars of the faith. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and gave possessions to anyone who had need. And the Lord added to their number daily from those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a look at those four pillars upon which God will build the community. The four relationships that are required. The first relationship we find in Acts 2 is this. 
we are told they have a relationship with the apostles' teaching. Let me translate that for you. They have a relationship with the Word of God. The apostles are gathering them together and teaching from the Hebrew Bible, the only Bible they have. Perhaps teaching them how Jesus is connected and fulfills what has been anticipated. But it starts. It starts with a knowledge of the Word of God. They gather together. It is uh, interesting to me that uh, the first foundation starts with the text. And everything else is built on that. And one of the things that I noticed in the paper yesterday, I don't know if you saw this, is that the majority of non-Christians in America don't believe that we churchgoers are very much like Jesus. Did you notice that? Did you see that in the paper? Now, I don't disagree with them, but I wonder where they got their information about Jesus because as non-Christians, they're obviously not reading about him. But my encouragement to you is we need to read about him. David Flusser is a Jewish scholar. He believes that Jesus is a significant man. He does not believe he's the Messiah, but this is what he says. Any Christian who claims to follow Jesus and does not read the four Gospels every month is a liar. How can you claim to follow someone you know nothing about? How will you know this man unless you study the text about him? Now let me tell you what my goal is. My goal is for us just to be white liars. Just little liars. And so this is what I'd like us to do. I would like you to start and read a gospel every month. You can start with Matthew, November. You could probably work Mark in the last 15 days of this month. Read a gospel every month because one of the pillars upon which our community will be built is our knowledge of the Word of God. Those who study the background of Jesus' times understand this, that Orthodox Jewish children understood and memorized the first five books of the Bible while they were still kids. Most of them probably had it memorized by the time they were 10. And those who would go on like Jesus to be in a rabbinical school, by the time they were 15, they had the whole Hebrew Bible memorized. They were people of the text. What do we know about the Word of God? But it's not enough to know the text. We must also live and obey the text. And, and this is where it gets a little troublesome. I've been a Methodist pastor, as you might guess, for a number of years. And some years ago, one of the real criticisms that would come my way uh, was this. Well, you know, you Methodists, you don't really teach the Bible. Or you Methodists, you don't know much of the Bible. We would hear from other churches. And when my people would bring that to me, they would say, what do you think about that? And I'd say, well, this is my take. It's not that we don't know enough of the Bible. My problem with us is we don't obey the little bit of Bible that we do know. We're not even doing the little bit that we've been taught. The the Ten Commandments. The Great Commandments. Even start there. It's not enough to know the text. We must begin to live and obey the Bible. Now, a number of men from our church, and about 200 men overall, are part of a Tuesday morning program called Men's Life. And I must tell you, wives, one of the things we're teaching your husbands is this concept uh, from Gary Chapman. And that is that all of us have what might be called love languages. And that is the way that we understand that we are loved. And the problem basically is this, that often we give love in the way we like to receive love. But for our significant other, that may not be the way that they want to receive love. And so part of the key is learning to speak your significant Uh, others love language fluently and carry it out. 
Well, let me put this in the Christian faith. One of God's major love languages is obedience to God's word. How does God know that you love God? Because you obey God and do what God wants you to do. That's the first pillar upon which our life and community is built. Now, the second pillar, according to Acts 2, is this. They had a relationship with one another that we would call, they would call fellowship. Now, when Methodists think about fellowship, they think about a coffee pot and talking about how do you think the Cowboys will do with the Patriots this afternoon. That's not the definition in the Bible. The, the biblical word indicates an unmasking, an unmasking, an honest, open vulnerability with one another. In other words, I can bring to church all that I am and it will be received. And you can bring to church who you really are. And that will be received and we can be real in Christ with one another. I heard a guy say last night that he thought on any city block, the least honest place on the block was the church. Any, of all the buildings on any block, the least honest place would be the church. And nobody would really be who they really are. Do you think that's true? That was not true of the early church. They had what was called fellowship, an honest, open sharing. Now, I don't need to say much more about that pillar because we talked about it last week. And remember, we summarized being in community as knowing that you matter and letting other people know that they matter as well. So let's move on to the third pillar. According to God's blueprint, the third pillar here is the relationship that the people had with God through what is called in Acts the breaking of bread and prayers. Well, breaking of bread probably isn't too hard for us to figure out by looking at the altar table this morning that, that uh, referred to their practice of what we call the Lord's Supper. But let me decode the word prayers for you. In the Hebrew tradition, if you go to a service of prayers, you are going to worship. They would worship together. That was one of the pillars upon which their life was built. You see, a synagogue service was basically about 45 minutes, and it consisted of songs, reciting text, uh, praying, praying some more, reciting text, singing some more, praying for about 45 minutes, and then there was a sermon that was about three minutes long. Now, you may long for a return to those days, but that's not the point. The point was their worship was called prayers. Their relationship with God was basically through worship. Let me put it another way. God's love language includes not only obedience, but worship. How does God know that you love God? Because you come here and you gather as he asked you to do, and you tell God that you love God. Whether it's convenient for us is not the issue. Whether it's entertaining for us is not the issue. Whether we get anything out of it is not even the issue. But that's the way God says, I want to hear it from you. This is the way I hear that you love me. But I have another concern. I've looked at the statistics, and I know what you probably intuit. And that is, 2002, across the nation, was sort of the high watermark for worship attendance and Christian congregations. And it's been sliding down across the nation ever since. Now, that's a problem because that's the way God chooses to hear that we love God. But it's a second problem, and that's this. That the weight of what God wants to build in our community cannot be upheld if two of the pillars are strong, but the third one is not. All that God can and wants to do through us will not be held by a worship life that is just done at our convenience. And I know you're here. Why am I telling you? Because it is an essential pillar. And then finally, there's a fourth pillar. We are told that they did this. 
they shared everything that they had. And they went out in such a way that God added to them every day new people. I call this pillar the relationship with the world. They related not only with the Word of God. They related not only with each other. They related not only through worship, but they related to the world in service and in sharing the faith. Their simple service to others told the world that they cared and that the world mattered to them. In the first century of the church in Jerusalem, the governor of the area wrote a letter to his uncle, who was the emperor, in Rome. And this is what he said. The thing about Christians is they take care not only of their poor, but they take care of our poor as well. That's how they knew they were loved. It's because the church was in relationship with them and gave to them and shared with them. The church became, eventually, within three centuries, the official religion of the Roman Empire. But I told you earlier in this year, according to uh, sociologist and historian Rodney Stark, how that happened. It wasn't so much due to Constantine's edict or his mother's influence, uh, Helena, in uh, around 314 that, that time. But it was this, that in the second century, Rome was hit by a series of plagues and setbacks. And what happened is the intelligentsia, the politicians, and the artists, and the priests, of the Roman gods, they all got out of Dodge. And the town was almost emptied and left behind in Rome were the poor, the neglected, and the diseased. And who stayed with them? Who cared for them? But the church. And Christianity gained a credibility that the gods of the Romans and the politicians could not gain. They knew the people in that area that they were cared for because of the service that they received. And so it is when Lynn talks with the children about an ark of uh, animals that we send across the world or Habitat for Humanity or ministering in Piedras Negras or mentoring in a local school. She is talking about one of the pillars upon which the church community is built, serving others. But it's not enough to serve them. Indeed, but we must share in word as well. Because how will they interpret what we're doing or why we're doing it unless we share with them? How will they ever come to know that Jesus loves them unless we not only show them, but, but explain it to them as well? And a very interesting occurrence occurred to me in the parking lot of the church the other day. I met a man, and we got to talking, and he doesn't go to this church, but he said this. He said, I came to your church in 1999 for a funeral. And he said, at the time I came, he said, I was a womanizer, I was hooked on drugs and abusing alcohol. He said, something was said by the pastor during the service. After the service, he said, I went to the parking lot and got in my car. And then I heard God speak and God said to me, this is your last chance. He was caught in downward spiral and nothing was breaking the cycle. But at that moment, The word of God had been spoken to him, had intersected his downward spiral, and he took advantage of his last chance. In our parking lot, he said, he gave his life to Christ. Nine years later, he's married, has a very healthy life and lifestyle, is part of another church, which is fine. It's an active participant in a small group in that church and is growing in his faith. 
What happened? What intercepted his downward spiral? It was not just an act of love, but words of the gospel that were spoken to him. And because of that, his life was never the same. A friend of mine told me he heard this on the way uh, up to our church yesterday. And you may already know this. Uh, this symbol, which you can probably see and recognize even on the back pew. This symbol is recognized and known by 97% of the people on this planet. They know, whether it's in Hebrew, Arabic, or English, they know Coca-Cola. Almost two-thirds of the people in the world have tasted Coca-Cola. And the person on the radio went on to say then that almost 70% of the people in the world have not tasted the living water of Jesus Christ. He said this, he said, it's too bad that God, that God didn't give the gospel to Coca-Cola instead of to the church. Well, let me tell you why God didn't do that. Because what we have to offer people is not a product. What we have to offer people is a person. And persons are only ever known through relationships. So as we continue as a community to live in relationship with the Word and continue to live in relationship with one another and with God through worship and then with the world through both our service and our words, I believe that the appetites and the hearts of people around us will be wedded to the living water and that one day they will come to drink that which is real life indeed. That one day because of you, because of me, because of our community, they will come to know the real thing.